Democrats and Republicans can't decide how to spend your money the best and can't agree on it at all. Body cam footage of George Floyd's murder has been released out to the public. Oh, monitor's going off. Sorry about that. George Floyd's video was released of the body cam footage of the night that he was murdered, and a judge starts a new injunction barring a lease statue removal in Richmond. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Contemporary. We've got not as much to get to as we usually do here, but we do still have some to get to as well. And I started up a little bit late, so we didn't have nearly as much overlap with Stephen Ignoramus. I apologize for all of that as well, but we've got to get into the news because the news stops for nobody as well. But before we get started, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We've got the Generational Gap, we've got Contemporary, we've got the Breakdown with Birkenhoff, we've also got the Freckles and Brit Show, the Already Conservative, and Mr. Ignoramus himself. So head on over there and check us out. Pick up some of the swag that we have over there in our swag shack and uh, help us support great creators. Alright, let's get up into the Dow first. So, looking over at the charts that we have here, it looks like we had uh, less than a percentage point of rise. I know it looks big, but it was a pretty steady day across from the futures on up into what we wound up actually having for a rise there. So, it was a decent day. I mean, it wasn't anything to really write home about. 236 points is a less than 1% uh, raise. That uh, tells you a little bit about what inflation has been doing to our economy as well. So, that's something that we need to go off and check out as well. But... Yeah, just tons of stuff to go through off of this here. And we will look into what's going on there. So we will move into, let me get rid of my Freedom Scoop tab here. The Dow Jones first from Investors Business Daily. Dow futures signal losses in coronavirus stock market rally. Solar Edge soars 12% on earnings from Scott Latonin. Dow Jones futures were lower early Tuesday, along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures after Monday's stock market rally, set more record highs amid coronavirus stimulus talks. Apple and Microsoft were among the leading Dow stocks, while Netflix, Shopify, Tesla, and Zoom Video offered outsized advances. The tech-heavy NASDAQ advanced 1.5% Monday, while the S&P 500 rallied 0.7%. The Dow Jones Industrial moved up 0.9%, or 236 points. Big gains in Apple and Microsoft helped fuel the Nasdaq's record high. Meanwhile, the top growth stocks, Netflix, Shopify, Tesla, and Zoom Video, outperformed the major stock indices on Monday. After the stock market closed Tuesday, Dow Jones media giant Walt Disney is set to report its quarterly earnings results. Additionally, top growth stocks Paycom Software and Twilio also report. Late Monday, IBD leaderboard stock Chegg reported strong earnings results. Shares rallied about 2% in extended trade Monday, as 6% advance. Meanwhile, SolarEdge Technologies beat the street's earnings and sales estimates. Sales soared 12% to 194 in response. Early Tuesday, Dow Jones futures traded down about 0.4% versus fair value, while S&P 500 futures were down 0.5%. NASDAQ 100 futures lost 0.5% versus fair value. Remember, overnight action in the Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. 
The White House and congressional Democrats continue to discuss a coronavirus stimulus package, but disagree over a federal boost to unemployment aid. Meanwhile, both sides are in agreement for another cash payment of $1,200 to most American. And yet we have no indication as to where we are going to get that particular money, which, I don't know. They just want to go out and spend your money forever and ever and ever and ever, but they're not going to tell you where they're going to get it from, and it's going to come right off your table, right away from your families in uh, years to come and right out of your children's mouths. So that's something to keep in mind as we go forward into this. Talks restarted at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Monday. House Speaker Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Schumer, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, and White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows were part of the meeting. After the meeting, Pelosi told reporters that the discussions were productive, but no deal was reached. Among exchange-traded funds, Innovator IBD50 rose 2.1% Monday. The ETF of top growth stocks is at a new high. The NASDAQ 100-linked Invesco QQQ Trust ETF moved up 1.35% to close at 269.38. Meanwhile, the SPDR, S&P 500 ETF, moved up 0.7% to 328.79. Within the coronavirus stock market rally, the tech-heavy NASDAQ is up 15.9% for the year through Friday's close. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 is down 0.4%, and the Dow Jones is down 7.6% year-to-date through the August 3rd close. Well, yeah, they hit a record high not that long ago, so of course they've got to be down somewhat as we go along here. Let's see what uh, CNBC has to say, because they're going to focus a little bit more on what happened yesterday. From Fred Imbert, here's what happened to the stock market on Monday. Simple title, and a little bit, uh, a little bit to go on. The Dow climbed at 236.08 points, or 0.89%, to close at 266440. Ooh, the mark of the beast in the Dow. It's everywhere, guys. The S&P 500 gained 0.72% to end the day at 3294.61. The Nasdaq Composite advanced 1.47% to 1090.280, hitting an all-time high. The major averages started the new month on a high note as tech shares outperformed. Microsoft gained more than 5.62% after confirming reports about being in talks to buy the social video app TikTok in the U.S. The talks come even as President Trump uh, threatens to ban TikTok because of security concerns over its parent company's ties to China. China. Apple was a major gains contributor as well, climbing TK percent. That's actually what it says, TK percent. I don't know what that means. Eli Lilly trial and strong manufacturing data also lifted the market, which means that they're coming out with another vaccine, which may or may not have a radio tracker in it. We will see. Uh, investors will keep an eye on Washington as lawmakers try to make progress on the new coronavirus stimulus package. Disney, Beyond Meat, and Nikola are among the companies set to report. So we've got a couple more reports coming out, and of course they want you to go out and spend your own money, but after that gets sanitized for the government here, so plenty of other stuff to go on. Let's keep going here and talk about the news. So we're going to start with a little bit of weather here from CNN. Isaiah makes landfall and threatens tornadoes, ferocious winds, and flooding up the east coast, and please be safe, dear co-host, because yeah, you are right in the middle of that. 
from Amir Vera, Madeline Holcomb, and Holly Yan over at CNN. Isaiah's slammed into the East Coast Monday overnight, causing rapid flood water, uh, water rescues, and the threat of New York's strongest winds since Superstorm Sandy in 2012. Isaiah's hurled sustained winds of 85 miles an hour became a Category 1 hurricane before reaching land about 11.10 p.m. Eastern Time near Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina. The National Hurricane Center said it was downgraded to a tropical storm Tuesday morning with maximum sustained winds down to 70 miles an hour, but that doesn't mean the danger is over. Tropical storm warnings extend from North Carolina all the way to Maine Canada border. CNN meteorologist Michael Guy said uh, or, tropical storm conditions, I just about said typical storm conditions, will last through Tuesday and into the overnight hours. Uh, they're tracking the path at this point now, coming up into North Carolina, going up now through Virginia, just outside the D.C. area, so Stephen will miss it, up through Philly, and into New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut and everywhere in between. So that's where they're projecting it'll go. Of course, we won't see what's going to happen until it actually happens, but we'll see what happens there, and that's what's going to happen. In addition to torrential rain, major storm surges in the threat of tornadoes, this is going to be a power problem, CNN meteorologist Chad Meyer said. Hey, maybe they'll shut down CNN headquarters in New York City with the power outage, and then we won't have to deal with them anymore. Eh, it's not true because they have backups everywhere, but yeah, that would be uh, quite the thing to see. By mid-Tuesday morning, Isaiah's had knocked out power to more than 500,000 electricity customers, Meyer said. That means well over a million people left in the dark. And with the coronavirus pandemic still raging across the country, recovery from the storm could be made much, much more difficult. All right. So that's what's happening with that. And yes, they're going to go and try and blame this on the president and the coronavirus pandemic and every other little thing you can think of. But... I mean, people that live on the coast should have already been prepared for hurricanes because it happens up there. Florida was mostly uninhabited before the white man came into this country, from what I understand. Because it got battered so hard by hurricanes all the time. But that's what's going on with that. Let's keep going down here with the stimulus news. From CNBC Politics, Democrats and Trump officials lead productive meeting but still don't have a coronavirus relief bill. From Jacob Pramuk, Democrats and Trump administration officials left a Monday afternoon meeting touting per, uh, progress towards an elusive fifth coronavirus bill, but they still have issues to resolve. Negotiators, House Speaker Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Schumer, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, and White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows met for more than two hours at the Capitol. The discussions followed Sunday's staff-level talks on a package to help rein in a raging pandemic and jolt a flailing U.S. economy. Following the meeting, Pelosi told reporters the discussions were productive. She said, we're moving down the track, but we still have our differences. Addressing reporters alongside the speaker, Schumer added, we're making some progress on certain issues moving closer, the senator said. There are lots of issues that are still outstanding, but I think there's a desire to get something done as soon as we can. Mnuchin and Meadows went to brief Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell about the talks after the meeting concluded. Mnuchin told reporters that discussions with Democrats were done for the day. <clears throat> Excuse me. The negotiators were expected to meet more this week. As the White House pressures Democrats to accept a short-term fix, 
Trump also said he's exploring executive action to extend a moratorium on evictions from federally backed housing. It is unclear what power he has to continue the policy, which expired late last month when Congress failed to pass a bill to sustain it. A lot of people are going to be addicted, but I'm going to stop it because I'll do myself when I have to, he said during an event at the White House on Monday. I have a lot of powers with respect to executive orders, and we're looking at that very seriously right now. So they're coming out to try and spend more and more of your money to send it to more and more people. And, you know, if they just said, hey, there's not going to be any more income tax for a while, for a couple of years, I bet you that would jolt and kickstart the economy. But, hey, no, that would make sense. It would actually make sense to do something like that. So they're not going to do it. And that's what we're going to see out of this here. Let's keep going down the list here. From CNN, Pro Sports Players Associations come out against key McConnell stimulus priority from Phil Mattingly. The Players Associations of major U.S. professional sports leagues are opposed to what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says is a must-have component for any new stimulus legislation. The executive directors of the NFL, NBA, NHL, uh, NHL, Major League Baseball, and Major League Soccer Players Associations all signed on to a letter raising concerns about the liability protections included in the Senate Republicans' proposal introduced last week. The Republican proposal, put together by McConnell and GOP Senator Cornyn of Texas, is designed to provide a temporary, legal, safe harbor for businesses, schools, health care providers, and nonprofits that make it uh, reasonable efforts to comply with public health guidelines and don't demonstrate gross negligence. Defendants would have, a, uh, would have the right to move suits to a federal court, which would cover the period from December of 2019 to 2024. We question whether any such type of special immunity is warranted at all, as there's been no showing that state laws are inadequate, Players Association state, according to the letter obtained by CNN, which is addressed to the top four leaders of Congress, including McConnell. There's still much that's unknown about this disease, how it spreads, and the long-term consequences of exposure. It makes little sense during these uncertain times to both ask the employees to return to work and, at the same time, accept all the risk for doing so. The letter comes as negotiations between Democrats and Republicans on the next coronavirus relief legislation remain at a standstill. And as the sports leagues grapple with the difficulties and realities of attempting to return to the field and court in the middle of the pandemic. So, I am against this 100%, and this is something that I'm normally for. I think you should absolutely be able to go back and sue your employer if a railing breaks and you wind up breaking your leg and you can't work, or if you fall through the floor, if your desk falls on top of you, if a broken glass window that had a crack in it comes and hits you in the face and cuts you open. There are so many things that you should be able to sue your employer for as negligence out of this. But as we're moving to open up the economy right now, as people are coming back to go to work and as people are losing out on their unemployment benefits, they're going to want to go back to work and they're going to want to get that quick payday coming up from their employers because their employers have money, especially some of these Marxist kids that come out and think that if you want a business, it means you have infinity dollars sitting in the bank and you just refuse to pay more money, but you still have the infinity dollars to come out and go out and go on yachts and smoke cigars and do all the other stuff out there. And that's not the case. Most of these CEOs, especially in the small business sector that's going to be affected by this, 
aren't paying themselves. Or if they are, it's minimal, far below minimum wage in some cases as they're starting out. Now, yes, as they grow, they're going to start paying themselves more. They're going to start taking some more of the fruits of their own labor. But to start out, to get the business started out and make sure that everyone else is getting paid, they are sometimes foregoing paychecks. Sometimes they have a second job just because they're foregoing any sort of income coming out of this. So that's what's, and these are the people that are going to get affected. I mean, if GE comes out and says, hey, come back to work because we know that we want you, or that you're running out of unemployment and we want you back here. And they get sued for negligence because somebody caught coronavirus or tested positive for coronavirus or any other thing that they try to do by bringing them back to work. GE is just going to absorb the lawsuit if they even go to it at all. They'll probably just get lawyered out and not even go into anything. They're going to see that lawsuit and they're just going to blink and say, okay, get out of my face. But yeah, the person that's going to get hit is your grocery store owner, your bank owner, your small business otherwise, your restauranteur, the other people that are going to get just hammered by this and it's going to take large amounts of their uh, income out of it. So I am in support of this specific thing going on in this bill. This specific amendment to the bill where, yes, over coronavirus you can't sue, but as long as you can still do it for any other negligence that they have. But let's keep going off of this here. I ranted on this long enough because we've got more stimulus stuff to go to. They sure do want to give you back your own money, but nothing comes out of the government that doesn't have a hook in it. From the Hill, Trump says he's considering executive action to suspend evictions and payroll tax. I'm going to shut something down here quick. All right. Get the live chat back up. From Morgan Chalfant. President Trump said Monday that he is considering taking executive action to halt evictions and suspend payroll tax collection as coronavirus relief talks slow progress on Capitol Hill. I could do that if I want, and I want to do that. I don't want people to be evicted, Trump told reporters at a press conference on Monday when asked about his suggestion earlier in the day that he could act unilaterally to, to suspend evictions. Trump noted that individuals who are evicted often go to shelters where the coronavirus can spread easily because of crowding. They're thrown out viciously. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's China's fault, Trump said, continuing to blame China, where the virus originated, for the pain inflicted on Americans. Trump also asserted he had unilateral authority to suspend the payroll tax. I can do that through an executive order, so we'll be talking about that, Trump said. Trump's admission came after the conservatives Stephen Moore and Phil Kirpin penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal urging Trump to declare a national and economic emergency and to direct the IRS to suspend collection of payroll taxes. They argued that Trump could defer payroll tax payments using the same section of the code used by the Treasury earlier this year to postpone the 2019 tax filing deadline until mid-July. The move would amount to a deferral though the two argued that Trump could pledge to sign a bill in the future to forgive the repayments. Moore, an informal economic advisor to Trump, has been forcefully advocating for a payroll tax cut in the next coronavirus relief package. Trump has been pushing for a payroll tax cut, though it has been coolly received on the Capitol Hill and was not included in the Senate GOP legislative package unveiled last week. No. No. Bad. So, 
if you suspend the payroll tax, there are going to be a lot of American families who don't understand how taxation works, who are going to see that extra money come into their paycheck and spend it, because that's what they want to do, is have them spend that money. That's the reason that they're doing the payroll tax cut, is so they come out and spend that money. And these are going to be families who usually get two, three, four thousand, five thousand dollars back from the federal government every year as income tax refund because they overpaid in their taxes. They basically gave a interest-free loan to the government throughout the year because they overpaid by that far in their taxes. Now, with that, if you do the payroll tax cut, then they're not going to be paying in the year. It's going to be back in their pockets and they're going to be spending it. And it sounds good right on the end. But the fact of the matter is, is that they are still going to be on the hook for the same amount of payroll tax, at, or I'm sorry, the same amount of income tax at the end of the year. Which means that they're going to have to come up with that money at the end of the year instead of getting money back and paying it in throughout the year. If you want to stimulate the economy, yes, cut the payroll tax, but you have to cut that income tax too. Otherwise, you are going to see an economic bomb come between January and April of next year. And it is going to be horrific if you do. Now, yes, I understand the fact of it's great getting taxes back, taxation is theft. But, yeah, if you're still going to be demanding the same amount of money at the end of the year, then, then you really need to watch what you're doing and how you're collecting it. So that's what we're going to see off of this. Let's keep moving down the road on this one from CNBC. And this is a little bit more structure that goes along with this. How Trump could force a payroll tax holiday without waiting for Congress from Darla Mercado. President Trump might not have to wait for Congress to pass his payroll tax cut. He might be able to do it on his own. Rather than waiting for lawmakers to come around to a payroll tax holiday, the president could order the Treasury Department to stop collecting the tax, according to an August 2nd op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. The opinion piece offered by Stephen Moore, a member of the President's Economic Recovery Task Force, and Phil Kirpin, the President of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. At a White House press briefing Monday evening, the President said he does indeed have the power to unilaterally suspend the collection of payroll taxes. I can do that through an executive order, Trump said at the press briefing, so we'll be talking about that. The President added that his administration is having a very good discussion with uh, Speaker Pelosi and Minority Leader Schumer about another coronavirus relief package, but Trump said it wasn't fair to the Democrat leaders want to bail out cities and states that have been in trouble for years of bad management. Payroll taxes are the slice of employees paid that's withheld to fund the Social Security and Medicare, and also what goes into the pot at the end of the year to make sure that your taxes are paid. The burden is shared by the worker and the employer. Each is responsible for a 6.2% levy that funds Social Security plus a 1.45% uh, tax that goes toward Medicare, while Social Security taxes are subject to a wage-based limit of 137700 in 2020. Medicare taxes continue to apply beyond that threshold. To get the payroll tax break a deferral, according to Moore and Kirpin, the Trump administration would employ a section of tax code that allows the Treasury Secretary to postpone certain tax-related deadlines in a federally declared disaster. Earlier this year, the administration used the same authority to delay the due date for the 2019 federal income tax. 
Mr. Trump would instruct the Treasury to stop withholding payroll taxes, Core and, or Moore and Kirpin wrote. So, yeah, no. As much as I want to see people paying a lot less in taxes, I do understand the fact that the government's going to come and get what's theirs no matter what, and there are going to be a lot of people in trouble in April if they do this the way that they're planning. So this is something to watch for as we move along. Yes, he does have the power to do it, but this is definitely something to watch for. All right, let's keep going here. So I've got one here from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution talking about school reopenings. COVID cases exposure have 260 Gwinnett School employees not working. From Arlinda Smith Brody, the largest school district in the state reported Sunday that 260 employees have tested positive for the coronavirus or are in quarantine because of possible exposure as they prepare for the new school year. Gwinnett County Public School teachers began in-person pre-planning Wednesday at the 100 or 141 facilities throughout the county. By the next day, approximately 260 employees had been excluded from work due to a positive case or contact with a case. The number is flu. Yeah, no, you don't get this in one day, though. This doesn't manifest in a day, so something else happened. The number is fluid, said Quinnett spokesperson Sloan Roach, as the new reports came in and others move out of quarantine after a period of time. Through tracing, we know that the majority of these cases are the result of uh, community spread, meaning we have to have, or we have people who have called in to report who have not been at school or work, Roach added. Gwinnett County is one of the highest rates of COVID-19 cases in the state. As of Sunday, there have been 17,781 positive cases in Gwinnett, with 1,996 hospitalizations and 240 deaths. Given the number of COVID cases in Gwinnett, we would expect to see positives among our employees based on the community spread in our country, Roach said. That's part of the reason that Ashley Newman decided to resign from teaching in a Gwinnett Elementary, the job she loves, the decision, and its toll haven't been easy. I applied for the government funding where I could get two-thirds of my pay for 12 weeks, but I was denied, she said. Newman has a four-year-old daughter who would have been too young to come to school with her, although her daycare is open. It has 16 children registered, and that's more students than Newman is comfortable with. With most, or the most recent surge in cases reported in Gwinnett County, she said it was the only option given the school district won't allow teachers to work from home. Teachers have complained that even without children present, their health is at risk. There are several petitions circulating asking Superintendent J. Alvin Wilbanks to reverse that decision. We have reporting and tracing processes in place. We also have a protocol for excluding employees who are positive or in contact, said Roach. In addition, there are protocols for making reports to the health department when there are two or more related cases. Since Friday afternoon, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has received hundreds of phone calls, text emails, and instant messages from Gwinnett teachers who asked to remain anonymous. So, they're trying to open up their schools. They're trying to get that government indoctrination back in place and make sure that these kids pay attention in school, but the teachers aren't having any of this. Even the young ones that are outside of the main demographic and, you know, they're saying they can't send their kids to daycare, they can't. They have to be home with somebody out of this and yeah there's a lot going on with this but first and foremost they're keeping the schools closed which i can't see our government wanting to do especially with the department of education that was built up under the bush and obama administrations but they're going to continue to do so and we're going to see what happens out of this let's keep going 
Man charged with shooting an employee after being asked to wear a mask in a Pennsylvania cigar shop. From Rebecca Rios and Holly Silverman over at CNN. A Pennsylvania man is facing charges of attempted criminal homicide after he allegedly shot an employee of a cigar shop who asked him to wear a mask. Adam Michael Zaborowski, uh, 35, entered Cigars International in Bethlehem Township Friday morning without a face covering, according to a probable cause affidavit, despite a statewide mandate by Governor Tom Wolfe requiring masks be worn in businesses. Staff at the shop told Zaborowski that he needed to wear a mask inside the store or he could have his order taken curbside, according to the affidavit. Zaborowski became irate, grabbed two cigars from the shelf, and exited without paying, the affidavit says. A store employee followed him to the parking lot to retrieve the merchandise, according to the affidavit. Zabrowski fired a gun into the air before firing two rounds at the employee, according to the affidavit. A patron was sitting behind the employee as the rounds were fired, according to the affidavit. Zabrowski fled in a blue Dodge Dakota pickup truck, according to the affidavit. How many times can you put the word affidavit in a CNN article? This is like the thing of... You have to have a thousand words on your essay, so they've used affidavit as many times as they can. He was arrested the following day after engaging in a shootout with Pennsylvania State Police and Slatington Borough Police, said Bethlehem Police Department Sergeant Sean Powell. He remains in the hospital, Powell said, but he didn't give details of any injuries. Zabrowski has been charged with attempted criminal homicide, aggravated assault, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, two counts of robbery, reckless endangerment, and carrying a firearm without a license. Due to a prior offense, he was also charged with persons prohibited to possess a firearm. His arrest affidavit shows. Yeah, wear the mask. Wear the mask or get out of our store is pretty much the way this is all going on this, but it's wound up deadly for one of these uh, mask Karens who was out there that decided that he needed to come out and make a stand and make a statement. So... That's what we see out of this here. Let's talk a little bit about Minneapolis because we've got a couple things that are going on over here. Minneapolis's Fry accuses Walls of dragging feet during early unrest. From Edmund DeMarsh. Mayor Jacob Fry, the Minneapolis Democrat who faced sharp criticism over his handling of the George Floyd riots in June on Monday, seemed to place much of the blame on Governor Walls, another Democrat, for failing to act quickly on earlier requests from the city for state intervention, a report said. The Minneapolis Star Tribune published a detailed report that shed light on the interaction between the mayor's office and Walls in the early days of protest. The governor's office made it clear that the National Guard troops were ready within 24 hours of the mayor's request. But Fry seems to be unconvinced that the governor's office took the unfolding crisis as serious as the moment demanded. The report also shows clear fissures in Fry's relationship with Walls. Fry told the paper that he remembered a press conference that the governor held outside the smoldering 3rd Precinct when he called the city's response to the unrest the night before an abject failure. Fry said that watching the press conference was definitely a hit in the gut. Not just for me, but for so many in our city that were doing everything they could. Everyone was pouring themselves into stemming the violence, he said. Fry told the paper that the city was clear, that the situation on the ground was dire and unfolding quickly. He told the paper on May 27th that he called the governor and told him to send the National Guard. Fry recalled Walls saying he would consider it. 
The paper reported that the city released documents last week that seemed to back up Fry's claim. The paper pointed to a text message that Fry's spokesman sent to the employees at the major's are. Uh, I'm sorry, the mayor's office that read, Mayor just came out and said the chief wants him to call the National Guard to help at the 3rd Precinct. Mayor appears intent on doing. The situation in Minneapolis at the time, these messages was deteriorating quickly and even got the attention of President Trump, who took to Twitter on May 29th and said, he can't stand back and watch this happen. He continued, a total lack of leadership. Either way, the very weak radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, get his act together and bring the city under control, or I will send the National Guard in and get the job done right. So, yeah. They're sitting back at a contention. This is like Cuomo and de Blasio all over again, because we watched this last, uh... We watched this, uh, not last month, a few months ago, when the two of them were sitting back and fighting with each other and couldn't agree on anything, and... Deciding whether or not to open the state or close the uh, city or what else, whatever the hell else went along with this. But yeah, we're seeing this now and we're seeing the fissures in the Democrat Party along the lines of who's in charge, who the presidential nominee is going to be, and where the party's going to go. So they can't get along with each other no matter what. And it's interesting to watch. All right, let's talk about this uh Body cam footage, also from Fox News, we have police body cam footage of George Floyd arrest leaked, published despite public distri uh, distribution being prohibited from Louis Cassiano. Portions of body cam footage showing the deadly arrest of George Floyd while in custody of Minneapolis police were leaked and published on Monday, despite recording and public distribution of the videos being prohibited. The footage was made available for viewing at the Hennepin County Courthouse last month by appointment only. But the Daily Mail said it exclusively obtained the May 25th footage from body cameras of former rookie officers Thomas Lane and J. Alexander Kewing. The video shows about 18 minutes from Kewing's body cam and 10 minutes from Lane's. The pair were the first to arrive at Cup Foods convenience store after a complaint that Floyd allegedly tried to pass off a fake $20 bill. Video shot by bystanders showing an officer pinned or pinning his knee to Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes before his death sparked look, uh, global outrage and unleashed a wave of protests against police brutality and uh, racial injustice that still continues. Hennepin County District Court spokesman Spencer Blickett told Fox News the uh, court was aware of the leak. The court is working with Hennepin County Sheriff and investigating how the Daily Mail obtained the copies of these two video exhibits. Hennepin County District Judge Cahill barred the video from being viewed outside the courthouse despite opposition from media groups he is presiding over the case involving now former police officers Kewing, Ling, Tu Thao, and Derek Chauvin. The Daily Mail video appears to have been recorded on a device while being played on a laptop. The Star Tribune said that the courts have provided laptops to view the footage and require attendees to put away their personal electronic devices during viewing sessions. A coalition of media organizations is challenging the viewing restrictions, arguing the video should be made available to the public. In July, attorney Earl Gray, who represents Lane, filed a motion to dismiss the charges against his client, citing the video was evidence. And interestingly enough, on this article, they're not telling you anything about the video. Well, maybe they are. Let's keep moving along here. Uh, the video showed Lane pointing a gun at Floyd and forcing him outside of his vehicle. Hey man, I'm sorry, Floyd said in response to Lane. Floyd was given no explanation as to why he was being questioned, according to the news report. Ben Crump, the attorney for the Floyd family, said the footage reinforces that Floyd posed no threats to the four officers. The more video evidence you see liable George Floyd's torture and death at the hands of the police becomes, Crump said Monday in a statement. 
Although the allegation against Floyd or George was for nonviolent offenses involving a $20 bill, the police officers approached him with guns drawn simply because he was a black man. As the video shows, he never posed any threat. The officers' contradictions continue to build. If not for the videos, the world might have never known about the wrongs committed against George Floyd. So, I've seen, I have not seen the video yet. I will be looking, uh, digging this out later on today. But as of right now, I've also seen reports that the video showed that Floyd was very much a res uh, resisting arrest, and he was even saying that he couldn't breathe when he was standing up. So there's a lot more to this narrative than just what we're seeing off of this and what anybody's saying out of this entire thing. We may never see the end of this story, partially because it may become politically inconvenient as we go along, as more and more information comes out, but I really do want to see the video, and I don't know if Daily Mail already has it taken down or not. I hope I can get a get my hands on enough of it that I can put it on the show coming up on Monday. I really hope that we get to take some look at this and see what's going on. At least some clips of it. Of course, we're not going to sit and watch the entire 22 minutes of it, but hopefully we can take some time and see what some of what happened off of this was. From CARE 11 News, a local Minneapolis affiliate of NBC, court and sheriff investigate unauthorized release of George Floyd's body cam video. This is going to be just a little bit more of the same. Hennepin County District Court is working with Hennepin County Sheriff's Office to investigate how body camera footage from the George Floyd case was obtained by the Daily Mail. The court has not yet authorized the video for public release. The London-based news organization posted uh, footage from two video exhibits filled in the case of the state versus Thomas Kiernan Lane, according to the court. The videos on Daily Mail website included more than 8 minutes of footage from then-Officer Lane's body camera and more than 18 minutes of footage from another body camera worn by then-Officer J. Alexander Kewing. Judge Peter K. Hill has not issued an order regarding the media's coalition's motion to obtain copies of the Kewing and Lane body-worn camera videos subordinate in State v. Thomas Kieran and Lane in a court spokesperson said in a statement. Currently, the only way to view these video exhibits is in person at the courthouse. Last month, the court approved journalists and members of the public to view the body camera footage by appointment, including CARE 11's Lou Raguse. According to Raguse, the video of, or the viewing of the footage were not allowed to make copies of the video. Raguse said despite or that deputies were walking around the viewing area as authorized members of the public viewed the footage. So, yeah, this got out. Uh, like they said earlier, it looked like somebody had a cell phone video and were recording off a laptop. And I do wonder if it was maybe a body cam or a glasses cam or something else. Because, yeah, they were coming out and saying, oh, yeah, no, these people aren't allowed to have their cell phones while they're doing it to prevent this specific thing from happening but this thing does need to happen we do need to take some time and see what happened with this body cam footage and i mean they can't sit back and sanitize it forever and if they're making public viewing for it then yes the rest of the public should be able to see it and distribute it as well that's called transparency but we will see what happens with this and like i said i will be looking for this video all right Coming up from the Daily Wire, former Democratic uh, Senator McCaskill calls Grinnell a Trump sycophant. He reminds her about a uh, past vote from Hank Berrien. After the announcement that the U.S. Will, or, or will, will draw down the number of troops stationed in Germany, former U.S. Ambassador to Germany Rick Grinnell answered a critic of the move who stated the action was not made as part of a strategy of, or a threat assessment. 
It may not be your assessment, but it was planned and will be implemented by the Pentagon, Grinnell replied. Times change. That response triggered former Missouri Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill, who now serves as an NBC News and MSNBC analyst, after losing her re-election bid to Republican Josh Hawley in 2018, to write a sneering reply. Of all the sycophants and unqualified folks surrounding Trump, why do I find this guy particularly repugnant, the former senator wrote Monday, because he was given a real jobs and didn't really have a clue. Grinnell responded by reminding the former senator of her vote for his confirmation. Um, you voted for me, he wrote in the post highlighting her yay vote in favor of him. Or was that because you had an upcoming election and wanted to hoodwink the people of Missouri into thinking that you weren't a partisan? Defense Secretary Mark Esper announced last Wednesday that the Pentagon would remove 12,000 troops from Germany. And we know about that already, and we still aren't completely sure why, but they're at least moving them around Europe and other places. So that's what we're seeing up out of this here. And yeah, it's interesting how people's minds change when they're not under an election or in a place like MSNBC where you can be blatantly partisan and get away with it. All right, let's keep going here. I'm not going to say that one for Monday. Revolutionary Communist uh, Let me try that again. Revolutionary Communist Party, USA leader endorses, uh, endorses Biden, warns followers against protest vote. Bob Akavian says voting for Biden is a central part of struggle against fascist regime. The head of the Revolutionary Communist Party USA is urging members to head to the polls in November to cast their votes for presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden, arguing that while Biden is still represents a murderous system of capitalism, imperialism, he is a better choice than President Trump. In a lengthy email to his followers, which was also posted on the Revolutionary Communist Party USA's website, Bob Vakian said that ousting Trump from the White House was too important of a goal. At this critical hour, every appropriate means of nonviolent action must be utilized to, uh, to remove this regime from power, Avakian wrote. And if, in spite of the mass protest demanding the removal of Trump-Pence regime, this regime remains in power when it is voting then, without placing fundamental reliance on this, using all appropriate means to work for the removal of the regime, must include voting against Trump, assuming the election is actually held. To be clear, he added, this means not a protest vote for some candidate who has no chance of winning, but actually voting for the Democratic Party candidate Biden in, in order to effectively vote against Trump. So they're running up on this dichotomy thing again. It's just, oh, you only have two choices. It's one party or the other. It's only one party. You can't do anything. And you're, these people are entitled to your vote, so don't you dare vote for a third-party candidate. Fuck that. Now, I've said before, I'm doing down-ballot uh, votes this time through. I'll maybe vote for my representative, even though the guy that's running as the incumbent this year is an asshole, and I don't care for him. There's no Senate race in my area, but definitely doing a lot of the down-ballot stuff, assembly, um, state senate, local stuff, stuff like that, but I'm not voting for a president this time through. I am absolutely 100% not voting for a president this time through, because... None of them is entitled to my vote, and none of them has earned my vote at this point, to be completely honest. They haven't earned my vote. President Trump re-signed the uh, Patriot Act, so that's not going to fucking happen. Biden can't string a coherent sentence together. I have my differences with the Jorgensen campaign, and I'm not going to go into them because my co-host works on that campaign. And God forbid 
anybody vote for the Green Party. I'm not voting for a president this year. It's just not going to happen. But the CCP comes out and said, you must vote, and you must vote for our candidate. So that's what we're seeing out of this, and it's going to, I mean, this is a campaign ad for Trump. Oh, well, Biden, Biden, he's endorsed by the radicals. He's going to be taken over by the radicals. He's a radical himself. I'm the best president. I'm the best candidate there is. Vote for me. So we'll see this coming forward. as, And I mean, November is almost here. Think about that for a second. It is already August. So that's what we have coming out of here. I've got another one from Fox. Let's see. CNN's Brian Stelter ridiculed for claiming right-wing media is behind push for Biden not to debate Trump. From Joseph A. Wolfson and Brian Flood. CNN media pundit Brian Stelter raised eyebrows after he uh, said the mostly right-wing media is behind the growing push for Joe Biden not to debate President Trump despite high-profile calls from New York uh, Times and CNN personalities for the former vice president to skip the events. On Monday, the Times sparked mockery across social media for an op-ed arguing that the presidential debate should be scrapped with critics suggesting it's the latest effort by the media to prevent Biden from debating Trump. Townhall.com political editor and Fox News contributor Guy Benson quipped about the puzzling media trend, writing, This Biden shouldn't debate Boomlet is just a media tempest, right? Stelter, who's been known or has become known rather as the media's hall monitor, appeared to reject the premise of Benson's comment. It is mostly a right-wing media tempest fueled by hour after hour of Fox commentary not reporting far removed from campaign reality, the CNN pundit told Benson. Benson shot back with a screenshot made by Reagan Battalion of various headlines from the New York Times, Newsweek, and even CNN, where Stelter's own colleague, rather, Joe Lockhart, urged Biden not to debate Trump. It seems as though this notion wasn't invented out of whole cloth by conservatives. It's an idea that's been floated by left-leaning figures and outlets, Benson replied. Yeah, for the most part, I actually kind of want to see the Biden-Trump debates. I kind of want to see what happens out of this because I think that's going to be something for the ages. I think that's actually going to be something that's worth watching. But Stelter is going to do anything to try and blame the right-wing media because he's got an agenda to push. And I thought that was interesting for us to watch. And it's a slow news day. So we have time to cover little stuff like this where Stelter's essentially being an idiot. We also have time to cover stuff from a former porn star, Pasadena Appeals Court rejects Stormy Daniels' libel suit against President Donald Trump. From CBS LA2 and KKL9 out of Los Angeles. Written by CBS LA staff. A Pasadena Appeals Court on Friday upheld a federal judge's 2019 ruling to dismiss a lawsuit from adult film star Stormy Daniels against President Donald Trump. Trump tweeted last year that Daniels' claim of being threatened in a Las Vegas parking lot in 2011 to keep quiet about her alleged 2006 affair with him. Quiet was a total con job. The three-judge panel in Pasadena affirmed that the president is able to tweet any opinion and that Daniels did not prove he had acted with malice in the tweet. Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, and her her former attorney, Michael Avenatti, released a sketch of the man who she said threatened her and Trump denied the incident happened. Trump tweeted on April 18th of 2018, 
A sketch made years later about a non-existent man, a total con job, playing the fake news media for fools, but they know it in response to a uh, Twitter user comparing the sketch to an image of Daniel's former husband. The court stated the appellate ruling that under Texas law where Daniels lives, statements of opinion cannot form the basis of a defamation claim. So, yeah, the opinion piece came out. She can't make the claim, and that's the end of this. But you know, once again, they're going to try again. Because Stormy Daniels is making all kinds of money off of this. Being the one that tried to try take down the president. Hell, she was in... Uh, I know she was in porno ads for a little while, too. Little ads that play before the porno, saying that she was Stormy Daniels and that you should go and watch her videos because she's Stormy Daniels. All right, let's keep going. From NBC 12 on your side from Richmond, Virginia, judge starts new injunction. Uh, wow, I can really read today. Judge starts new injunction barring Lee statue removal in Richmond. A Virginia judge has dissolved one injunction but imposed another preventing Virginia's governor from removing an enormous statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. The new 90-day injunction bars the statue's removal while he claims in a lawsuit filed by a group of Richmond property owners are litigated. Virginia attorney Mark Herring has filed a pending motion to dismiss the case. Governor Ralph Northam announced the plans to remove the statue in early June, citing the pain felt across the country about the death of George Floyd. In a reference to Monday's ruling, Northam's office said Governor Northam appreciates the dismissal of the Gregory case, and it looks forward to another victory in court as soon as possible. The statue will come down, and Virginia will be better for it. So this was just a little shorty quick hitter, but yeah, they're, they're still fighting over the statues, and once again, I think the statue should stay up. So people can sit back and see what the heritage was. And you can see, kind of down in the picture there, the graffiti that's surrounding all of this. So yeah, they graffitied it all up. They didn't touch the statue because it's up way too high, but yeah, for the most part. How do you get educated if you erase history? How do you get educated? We don't know. But from part of this, I think they don't want you to be educated at all. I got just a couple more here, and then we'll do tw uh, Twitter trending and head on out of here. From the New York Post, which is unloaded because I was away from it for too long. Prince Andrew was at a nightclub with Virginia Jufri. New witness claims from Yaren Steinbusch. A new witness is claiming she saw Prince Andrew with Jeffrey Epstein's sex slave, Virginia Jufri, at a nightclub on the uh, night the royal allegedly had sex with her, according to a new report. I remember him dancing and chatting with the young girl, Shukri Walker told The Sun, contradicting the, uh, wow. contradicting the Duke of York's contention that he was not there. Jufri complains that she was forced to have sex with the prince after they left the tramp in Mayfair on March 2001, according to the news outlet. Andrew denies the claim, saying he was not even at the club that night, adding that he recalls the date well because he took his daughter Beatrice to a pizza joint in Surrey at the time, the son reported. But Walker said she was positive she saw Andrew busting a move with Jufri because she apologized to him after standing on his foot. He was smiling. He said, no problem, she told the outlet. 
The embattled Duke has come under increased scrutiny after the arrest of Epstein's uh, accused madam, Ghislaine Maxwell, 58, who is at the Brooklyn Detention Center, awaiting her July 2nd arrest, or awaiting trial, rather, after her July 2nd arrest in New Hampshire. Walker said she decided to speak out after watching the Prince's disastrous BBC Newsnight interview over his relationship with Epstein, the financier pedophile who committed suicide in his Manhattan jail cell a year ago while awaiting trial on sex trafficking charges. So, yeah, nobody said buttfuck anything about any of this. Nobody said anything about Prince Andrew until the New York Post came out and said something about this. Nobody said anything about Bill Clinton last week. We covered that last night. And you gotta wonder why. I mean, you know why, because they don't want people to get suicided over Clinton, but I mean, this is huge news. This is huge stories. And nobody's saying a word about any of this. So, I thought this was interesting to see. Definitely, we're gonna see more of this come out as we move along, but let's get through these last couple here. MSNBC producer quits this cancer stokes national division. Facts too cumbersome for audience from Ryan Saavedra. A former MSNBC producer wrote an open letter on Monday explaining why she left the far left network a little over a week ago, saying they're a cancer that is stoking national division by amplifying fringe voices and forcing journalists to make bad decisions on a daily basis. The letter was written by Ariana Picari, who told or Fox News noted described herself as an integral member of MSNBC's last word with Lawrence O'Donnell. Picari begins her letter by sharing quotes of what people said to her over the last couple years as she pondered leaving the network due to the detrimental effect that it's having on society. July 24th was my last day at MSNBC. I don't know what I'm going to do next exactly, but I simply couldn't stay there anymore, Picari wrote. My colleagues are very smart people with good intentions. The problem is the job itself. It forces skilled journalists to make bad decisions on a daily basis. Picari said that, at MSNBC, it was practically baked into the editorial process that decisions on what and who give uh, coverage to were based on what would generate the most ratings to the network. I don't know if I read that right. I mean, I read the words that were on the page, but I don't know if they wrote it wrong or what was going on with that. She said that behind closed doors, industry leaders would admit the damage that's being done. A high-profile TV uh, veteran reporter told her, We are cancer, and there's no cure. But if you could find a cure, it would change the world. As it is, the Cancer Stokes National Division, even in the middle of civil rights crisis, Picari said, The model blocks diversity of thought and content because the networks have incentive to amplify fringe voices at events and at the expense of all others because it pumps up the ratings. And that's something I've noticed with the left, especially is that they're allowed to have their fringe voices on, their Rachel Maddow's, their Lawrence O'Donnell's, the people that are over at MSNBC, and the fringiest far uh, left voices are allowed to thrive over on the left. But over on the right, we shut them up as quickly as we possibly can because we don't want voices like that over there. We don't want the far right, the alt-right. We don't want them involved with us. Because they're look, especially the alt right, they're looking at a socialist model, but only for white people, and we don't want that shit. We just want everybody to come out, have a good job, and contribute to society, and stop paying taxes because taxes are theft. But yeah, we're called on consistently to denounce the far right voices over on the right, and we do, and yet the MSNBCs. 
give the far left voices a microphone. So absolutely good on Picari for realizing what's going on and putting principles over money. And I'm sure she was making a buttload of money working over there, but if you're not going to be able to sleep at night, what good is money? So that's what we see there. I got a couple of general interest pieces here that I wanted to share with you guys from the Wall Street Journal opinion piece. Pickup trucks are getting huge. Got a problem with that? A few months ago, oh, this is from Dan Neal, by the way. A few months ago, on an ordinary day in an unremarkable Costco parking lot, I was nearly squashed by an unusually large pickup. Thank God I was wearing a mask. As that new chrome grill closed on me like a man eating Norelco shaver, time slowed. It seemed I was watching myself from afar. Being nimble for a man my age, darting from the path of a towering limousine black pickup with a temporary plate, whose driver barely checked his pace, jerk, what the hell was that thing? A 2020 GMC Sierra HD Denali. It was huge. The domed hood was at forehead level. The paramedics would have to extract me from the grill with a spray hose, like Randall Gerald's bulger turret gunner. He didn't even see me. I'm guessing that truck was lifted because GMs are actually notoriously low to the ground compared to their other competitors. Later, returning to my car, I noticed something. The parking lot was dotted with similarly enormous luxury pickups. Many new, many taking up two spaces. Ram, Ford, Chevy, GMC, they stood out like Percherons in a herd of Shetland ponies. So this article went on to go and discuss a few other things that go along with pickup trucks, and I thought it was interesting to see because this was something, I mean, this was brought to my attention because the original poster on Twitter pointed out the fact that these pickup trucks are being used to intimidate protesters when you've got the big pickup truck and it's intimidating and pickup trucks are becoming more popular. Well, people are getting more stuff and going out and doing more. We have more free time than ever and people want to go out and use an ATV or a boat or a camper or so many other things at this point. And you can't carry that with a Honda Civic. You can't. One of the things that the author pointed out is that the average weight of a pickup truck as compared to 1991, has gone up almost 2,000 pounds, and that's because people are buying bigger trucks. They're not trying to do stuff with a half ton that you shouldn't be doing with a half ton anymore. People are going out and spending the money on a three-quarter ton truck. And it's luxurious, and it's got a crew cab. You can fit your whole family up in there. Still have your comfortable ride, your soft ride, and all your luxury amenities. And tow your camper with it. Instead of going to the cabin every weekend, you go to the camper and you tow, uh, tow that around with you everywhere. So, yeah, no. Yeah, they're getting bigger. Yeah, the average size is getting bigger, but, I mean, the regular size of a three-quarter ton is still a three-quarter ton. The regular size of a one-ton is still a one-ton. And one of the things that did this was the diesel engine actually becoming more accessible to a lot of other people because people realized that it got better gas mileage and they started being able to produce it at a rate where people could afford to buy it. Remember, a lot of these old big pickup trucks were gas back in the 90s. Your one tons, your three quarter tons were gas and they were notoriously unreliable because a gas engine in a vehicle of that size is going to give you problems. I wanna take some second and say goodbye to Instagram here because we're gonna be taking off. Hit the link in my bio and head on over to my YouTube page and you can continue the rest of the story. But thanks everybody for watching over on Instagram. We will see you next time.
10 seconds remaining and we're out of here. So going back on to what I was saying with this. So yeah, no, yes, they're getting bigger. That's a good thing. That's a sign of prosperity. That is a sign that the country's moving forward and people have more money to spend, that our economy was doing better up until it shrank by 37%. So all of this is a good thing, but no, you've got to come out here and find the worst in everything. All right. I think, no, no, we are going to read this because I like this. From Harper's Magazine, this is a little general interest piece to me because I lived in Kenosha, Wisconsin for 10 years. And I could almost call it home. It was like 10 years of my adult life. I don't live there anymore, but I actually do want to go back and take another quick little visit to it. But the article is titled, The Art of Losing by James Pogue, Can Democrats Win Back Post-Industrial America? And it goes on, and I'm not going to sit and read the whole thing because it's quite lengthy. And it's a lot of description about what happens in Wisconsin. I am going to put this in the Discord for you guys because it gives a very romanticized view of my former hometown. But the point of the article going through this is the fact that Kenosha was a union town. It had automakers. It had jockey. It had AMC. It was the headquarters for AMC for a long time. It was a manufactured town. It was a union town. And being a union town, it was good. Now, a lot of these warehouses are popping up in the area that are non-union. And the people are going to work there. So there's not the union pressure to go and vote for Democrat. But Kenosha County voted strictly Democrat for almost its entire existence. And the author is coming back now and trying to figure out how to win that back. Because in 2016, Kenosha County broke for Trump. Much to the surprise of everybody in the world, it, it broke for Trump. It was probably part of the reason that Wisconsin broke for Trump as well. And it, this is an article coming back and talking about why that happened, why the people feel like they're forgotten by the Democrat Party as of late, and how the Democrat Party could come back and win this area once again. So this was a great article. Like I say, because of the fact that I lived there, it really hit home for me just seeing off this. Yeah, Jockey, Snap-On, American Brass, UAW, all this union influence that was in Kenosha County, and all of it got forgotten as the economy started to crumble and all the manufacturing moved out. I remember the day that they took down the Chrysler plant. I remember it. I remember when they took that first, uh, that first swing with a wrecking ball, and it broke a lot of hearts in that city to see that building fall. But that's what we have there. And that's what I have for a show. Like I said, I'll throw this up in the Discord. I'm going to retweet this out on uh, Twitter as well. If you're over on my Twitter, go and check this out. But yeah, this was definitely one that hit close to home for me. But speaking of Twitter, let's go and look at uh, Twitter trending. Which means I have to move my phone, which was doing Instagram until that closed. On the trending uh, tab... We will skip T-Mobile Tuesdays because that's a blatant advertisement. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Oh, how we miss your leadership. Have an amazing day. We love you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Obama, a decent man, a loving husband, way better looking president, thinner, younger, and a better golfer. Yeah, no. So, yes, this is a bunch of people being sycophantic over... Former President Barack Obama. 
Let's see, what else do we have? Tuesday Thoughts, we're going to skip that. Happy Birthday Obama, going right along with the same thing. Apparently it's Barack Obama's birthday. Uh, Inception First Win is a K-pop thing. I don't know what... I actually don't know what K-pop is. I know it's Korean pop. It's, from what I understand, it's Korean boy bands, but I don't know why it's taking such a major hold in our society today. And I've never listened to it. Uh, the third one we'll read is Axios, because Donald Trump was on Axios with uh, Jonathan Van, or V. Swan, and he was talking out his ass. And, of course, uh, Joe Walsh was the first one up here to talk about it, because he just has to sit back and analyze everything that Trump does. I wonder if Joe Walsh has a shrine to Donald Trump the way that uh, uh, Ray Finkel had to Dan Marino in uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. I wonder if Joe Walsh has a shrine like that. I would not be surprised with the way that he tweets about that. I'm going to tweet that out later, as soon as I'm off the air, because that's funny. So yes, there was an interview on Axios. Trump, uh, he talked or spoke without thinking, as he usually does, but he was talking about testing, and he just didn't put it the right way. So we'll move on off of that one there. I didn't feel that was important enough to put in uh, today's uh Contemporary, so let's see. Tuesday Vibes is the next one, and the last one we'll read today is from the NFL, Rashad Bateman. Breaking Gophers wide receiver Rashad Bateman, uh, Bateman has opted out of the 2020 college football season. The reigning 2019 Big Ten wide receiver of the year will be one of the uh, NFL draft's top wide receiver prospects in the spring. So apparently one of the Gophers is going out and going to the NFL where he can sit back and kneel for the national anthem. And that is going to be it. So we're going to call it a show here. I think I'm going to skip, uh, unless I feel better later on, but as much as I'm tripping over my words, I definitely feel like I need to sleep. I think I'm going to skip gaming tonight and we'll do it tomorrow night instead. So, unless I change my mind, we will see you tomorrow morning with more Contemporary and tomorrow night with Ed's World Gaming. Until then, I am Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. <laughs>